amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Blog Talk Radio. Healthy and Tone Radio with your host, Darren Batman McDuck. And now, prepare to get fat. Hey, hey, what's cracking? Welcome back to Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio. I'm your host, Darren Fatman McDuffie, and this episode is being brought to you by I'm the Fat Really great show for you tonight. We have Dr. Terry Walls. Uh, and she'll be coming on to discuss the Walls Protocol. Before I get her on, as always, just want to remind you of the show that we did last week with Dr. Richard Jacoby, which was called Sugar Crush. Very good show. We talked about sugar and the effect that it has on nerves, particularly a condition called peripheral, peripheral neuropathy. And then we also talked about diabetic neuropathy as well. So that's a great show to go back and find out what the effects of sugar are for those types of conditions. And also, we got into a bit of a deep discussion with sugar in general. So I would advise you or encourage you, rather, to go back and listen to that show because that was a really good show and I really enjoyed it. Now, tonight, um, before I get Dr. Walls on, let me go ahead and read her bio. I don't have a lot of time with her, so we're going to go ahead and just get right into the show. Dr. Walls is a clinical professor of medicine at the University of Iowa, where she teaches residents and medical students in primary care and traumatic brain injury clinics. She also conducts clinical research and has over 100 abstracts, oral presentations, and publications in peer-reviewed scientific journals and meetings. Dr. Walls is in the process of conducting clinical trials testing the efficacy of intensive directed nutrition and neuromuscular electrical stimulation in the setting of secondary and primary progressive multiple sclerosis. When her body was ravaged by secondary progressive multiple sclerosis, Dr. Terry Wall spent nearly four years dependent upon a tilt-recline wheelchair. One year after beginning the intensive directed nutrition and neuromuscular electrical stimulation interventions which she designed, Dr. Walls was able to complete an 18-mile bicycle tour. The following year, she completed a trail ride in the Canadian Rockies. Welcome to Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio, Dr. Walls. How are you tonight? Thank you for having me. I'm uh, very good. Thank you. I'm so glad that you could be on. I was really wanting to hear your story. I actually heard your story a couple of years ago, even before I got my show started, and was very inspired by what you did. And I said, when I have my show, I'm going to invite her on, and here we are. So great to have you on tonight. Thank you. Now, one of the things I'm very interested in is you started studying animal models. Uh, when you started studying more about multiple sclerosis, you went to study animal models. Explain um, your rationale behind doing that. 
Um, well, I know that my basic science colleagues in their mouse and rat studies are finding the secrets that will be used to guide clinical care in about 10, you know, 15, sometimes 20 years. And so if I wanted to leapfrog ahead into the standard of care, my best option was to look in the basic science labs. Okay. Yeah, I read a book not too long ago, and um, one of the things I was really uh, startled by or was really surprised by, I would say, was the fact that in the animal models and dealing with animals, uh, when they do that, they animals are much more uh, apt to look towards nutrition. When uh, these doctors are working with animals or veterinarians are looking at uh, animals, they're more apt to look for nutrition because they don't want to lose any of the animals. And I'm wondering, is that exactly why you studied those particular particular models, just because you knew that they were far no, beyond? No, I'll admit I was not. When I first started reading the basic science literature, I was originally reading drug studies. Uh, okay. Now, I would eventually uh, have the aha moment I should be reading nutrition studies. And uh, so then I was looking at supplement studies. And then, of course, I would eventually realize that I really needed to be looking at uh, the food sources for those nutrients. Okay, great. Um, with your journey, I would say, um, how long was it that this took place? I don't know because in the book, it, it, you, went, you went to your diagnosis mm -hmm. and then you started your treatment. What was the point that you received your diagnosis and then you started getting into reading more of the studies, you started uh, doing the diet. How long of a time period was that? So I, I was diagnosed in 2000, and okay. like many physicians, newly diagnosed with a bad thing. I started reading uh, everything I could uh, in the scientific literature, uh, and I was terribly depressed because, you know, uh, half the people lose the ability to work within 10 years. And a third have difficulty walking, needing a cane walker or a wheelchair. And so I was really quite, quite depressed. Uh, my family convinced me that I needed to stop reading the science uh, and just find the best people I could to treat my illness. And so I, I did that. But then when I hit the wheelchair, I realized that, you know what, I know how bad it's going to be. And so uh, at that point, I began to go back to reading the science. And that uh, really was when uh, things began to improve, or it would eventually begin to improve. It would take many more years of uh, reading the science and experimenting before I developed a protocol that was helpful. What was your health like before you actually uh, was diagnosed, diagnosed with MS? Well, um, in... Before I was uh, a medical student, I was an athlete. Mm -hmm. I did taekwondo and competed in full contact free fighting in 1978 and was a bronze medalist at the trials for the Pan American Games. Mm -hmm. um, and I you know, ran marathons, skied marathons, did whitewater rafting, uh, had my kids. Uh, was still uh, biking and then doing Nordic track uh, every morning before going off to work. But I, I couldn't perform quite as well, and so I thought maybe I was just not pushing myself as hard. And then I um, 
noticed that I had uh, a, a problem with my left leg. I was beginning to stumble. Uh, then I went in and uh, was evaluated, and a diagnosis made. And then actually I was sort of relieved, like, okay, I wasn't being a slug after all. There really was something wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read in a book where you started having symptoms, the, the facial numbness, but I'm also wondering what your eating habits were like. Um, were they, were you say well, you say you were better well, people, than average or about average? Oh, people would have thought I had an incredibly healthy diet. Mm-hmm. Uh, during high school, I became a vegetarian. You know, I grew up on a farm, and so I was oppositional and became a vegetarian. My parents thought I was killing myself and were very uh, upset with me. Uh, and so for the next 20 years, I was a vegetarian. I had uh, was eating uh, whole grains, a lot of legumes, uh, vegetables, uh, dairy in the form of cheese, eggs. And so... Everybody would have thought this was a tremendously health-promoting diet. Um, and then my neurologist in Cleveland Clinic told me about uh, Ashton Embry and Lauren Cordain, and uh, based on reviewing their work, I uh, decided to give up being a vegetarian. So I gave up all grain, all legumes, all dairy, and began a paleolithic diet and continued to go downhill for another five years. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. Um, In the book, you stated that you started on this path. Obviously, you started reading your papers and learning more about the nutrition aspect of it. And then you started improving your nutrition. And it seems as though from the book that things got a little bit worse before they got better. And my experience with that is that sometimes when people do detox, for example, it'll get worse before it gets better. And I wanted to get mm-hmm. a bit of your thought process around that. Why why you didn't give up? Why did you stick with it and, 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 and didn't give up on the nutrition part? Well, you know, uh, let's sort of go back to when I first made the change, 2002. I uh, went paleolithic, still steadily declining, slowly. But uh, I'd read the science, decided it made some sense. And even though I was still declining slowly, I felt like at least now I'm doing something. And so I stayed with that. I'd completely accepted my neurology doctors telling me that when you have progressive MS, there's no improvement. So my hope was to slow my decline. Um, And so I would begin reading science, adding vitamins and supplements, and it was slowing my decline, um, but you know, and I was thrilled with that. And I thought that's all I could ever hope for was to slow my decline. And I thought it likely my disease would lead to my becoming bedridden and quite possibly demented. But at least I was doing something, and so I took comfort in that. Uh, the other uh, thing that was probably very helpful was that I looked for um, what was the gift in this. Man, it's pretty hard to find a gift in becoming progressively more disabled. Yeah. And for me, the gift was I had young children. I could now model resilience or giving up. So I could model getting up, going to work, staying positive, and just doing the best I could. And I could easily talk about, yep, life is not fair. I could complain or I could just 
realize life's not fair and go on and do the best I can. So there were a lot of teaching moments, and when I was feeling uh, discouraged, uh, in my head I'm telling myself, you know, Terry, your children are watching. Are you going to model resilience or giving up? And that was my internal mantra that kept me going, kept me getting up and going to work and staying positive with my family. Yeah, I'm a big believer in changing that mindset around illness. And I believe you quoted uh, Viktor Frankl in your book. I've never read his book, but yes. I've seen so many great quotes, quotes come out of that. So it's on my reading list to get to at some point in time. And again, it's, it's great that you change your your mindset around illness. A lot of people, when they get the diagnosis, they succumb to the illness or they become the illness, so to speak, and then they mm-hmm. never get out of that particular um, process. Um, you know, there, in, just, go ahead. I'm sorry. In our therapeutic lifestyle clinic, um, I've uh, discovered that we spend more and more time talking about uh, resilience factors, uh, the mindset, uh, what is the meaning of your illness, what is the gift that you can find. And I talk about my patients with cancer who are going to die from their illness, and yet they can tell me this has been one of the most profound gifts I've ever received because. It gives me clarity with my family and with my life and my purpose now. Yeah, I always say that illness is one of those things that gives you a chance to step into your power. And a lot of people tend to defray from that. They don't give it a chance for them to step into your power. So I'm so glad that you you said that. Um, One of the things I wanted to ask you, and I'm not a big believer in things running in families, but I was just uh, really curious if anyone else suffered from MS in your in your family. Uh, no one else with MS, mm-hmm. although, you know, when I uh, look at the functional medicine perspective, what's the genetic vulnerability, and I talk about this, that if you have a family history of bad brain, bad heart, autoimmune problems, then... That means that the enzymes that run your detox pathways that make your brain chemicals are less efficient. And then that means I have to be more, even more attentive to my nutrition. And I'm probably at greater risk of having a vegetarian diet not do well for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, two questions for you. The first one being, and I didn't want to, make this one big question, but I come from pharma. That's my, where I came from. And I used to call on doctors and I used to see the tremendous amount of stress they were under, especially doctors in ER when I would go in the ER and go to speak with them. And I'm wondering if you being someone who went through medical school, you being someone who was on that daily grind of seeing patients doing what you do, the stress factor, how much of the stress factor came into play with you uh, when multiple, multiple sclerosis came in there? Oh, stress was huge. Mm-hmm. In retrospect, when I go back and look at when did all this begin, it really began in medical school. Not enough sleep, high pressure, being mm-hmm. yelled at a lot, uh, a lot of strain. That's when the symptoms first began. And then as I look at when my disease became worse at every point, 
I could say that there was a step up in the level of stress that I was experiencing at that time. And when I look at my therapeutic lifestyle clinic, and I'm talking to all of our patients, I see that the issue is nearly always people can identify big stressors that happened in the year or two years before the onset of their health problem. Obviously, you came from conventional medical, which is tell me what your symptoms are, let me prescribe something. And then you discovered functional medicine. And I'm wondering if that has changed the way you approach helping people now when they have these illnesses, when you're working with them now. Oh, absolutely. You know, going through all of this, and I really had to get desperately ill Mm -hmm. before I was willing to blow up my understanding of uh, how to approach my illness. Uh, because originally, I my approach was I'll treat it aggressively using the latest, newest drugs. And the, when that was clear that wasn't working, then I began to try vitamins and supplements. And that helped maybe a little. And then I found functional medicine. That helped uh, quite a bit more. And then when I restructured my paleo diet to maximize the nutrients of all these things I was taking in supplement form, that's when the magic began. And that really changed how I understood disease and health. It would change how I approach um, patients in clinic. It would change the focus of my research. And it would um, change, you know, the practice at the VA and the university. As people saw what I was doing, they saw the impact of our research, you know, suddenly I began to not be the really strange eccentric doc, but maybe this brilliant visionary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to ask you, have you gotten any flack from that, from actually uh, switching from what I would call a disease model to a more uh, proactive approach, uh, the functional medicine model? Have you gotten any flack from your colleagues from it? Oh, absolutely. Early on, you know, people were first stunned that suddenly I'm, I'm remarkably better. And then in my primary care clinics in the traumatic brain injury clinic, and, you know, instead of focused on drugs, I begin to focus on diet quality, stress levels, uh, physical activity levels. And I start talking about radical things like B vitamins and fish oil and maybe some sulfur amino acids. And some of my patients, my patients are thrilled, but my colleagues think, you know, this is not FDA approved, it's not appropriate, and they're complaining. The chief of staff calls me in to say, Terry, what's going on? People are complaining about you. So we have a long conversation. I uh, go back with uh, armfuls of uh, scientific papers. And eventually I win him over to my way, my way of thinking. He becomes very supportive. I uh, By now we have our research going. And every year we have a research day, Harvard College of Medicine. We have our research posters up. And then when we get so we can show videos from our before and then after intervention of how the gate changed. Now my colleagues, because, you know, the physicians, we we want to see data, and I have very impressive data. And at the VA, the uh, clinics, uh, the primary care clinics and the traumatic brain injury clinics are seeing that 
I'm getting some very impressive clinical results. So eventually, it, it doesn't take long really, within three years, the chief of primary care is inviting me to pull out of primary care and instead create my own therapeutic lifestyle clinic where I practice medicine according to functional medicine. And we use diet and lifestyle. Yeah, that's pretty And awesome. I'm going around the university uh, to various departments presenting our research, showing these amazing videos. And people are like, uh, you know, again, I've, I've gone from being odd to uh, this visionary, brilliant researcher. You're not the weird one anymore, huh? I'm not the weird one anymore. <laughs> and then the university <clears throat> is having people call, <clears throat> excuse me, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and uh, make donations to my research lab. <clears throat> excuse me, I'll need a sip of water here. And they've not had people make cold calls to make uh, major donations like this before. Yeah, I th- I happen to think that just a lot of things are actually changing. It's it's slow to change, but I think a lot of things are actually changing when it comes to medicine. You mentioned a couple of times before we even got into the bread of the discussion about being vegan and going from vegan. Um, for my listeners out there, I have nothing against you if you're vegan. I love you all, <laughs> so I just want to make that uh, perfectly clear. Um, but what made you switch from being vegan? Was there something that you saw in the studies that mm-hmm. said, you know what, I need to go back mm-hmm. to something meat-based, or what made you switch? So so actually I was vegetarian, so I was still eating dairy and eggs. Mm-hmm. Um, when I read the papers by Lauren Cordain about leaky gut, molecular mimicry, and the rationale for why grains and legumes could be a problem and why dairy protein might be a problem. Uh, and I, you know, looked through uh, a slew of his papers and decided that, okay, uh, the science seemed reasonable. It would not be, um, thre- you know, it, it, it was a big deal because I had to do a lot of prayer and meditation over this. But I decided that at least it was something I could try. Mm-hmm. And so I... Uh, Gave up grain, legumes, dairy, you know, foods that had been very familiar for 20 years and had to gradually reintroduce meat and had to do this gradually because that was a, a big change for me. And then, of course, uh, it wasn't a miraculous cure. It's like, you know, I would still continue to decline for another five years. Mm-hmm. What was the turning point for you? Well, really, the turning point was... Um, when discovering functional medicine, uh, I added, uh, I actually added more supplements. Mm-hmm. And then I had the aha moment. What if I redid my diet, taking this list of supplements, and then finding foods that were good sources for all of these various things I'm taking in pill form? And that took more research to figure out where those were in the food supply. But within 30 days of making that change, I could tell my fatigue was greatly reduced. My brain fog was greatly reduced. Mental clarity uh, way up. And it it was clear to me that magic was happening. Mm -hmm. 
You mentioned I had Jason and Mira Calton on the show. I've actually had them on twice. And uh, oh, they're great one, people. Yeah, one of the things that I uh, remember from them, and you it was reminded by from your book, was the fact that we talked about this on the last show on their micronutrient diet, um, micronutrient miracle, I think it's what it's called. But they were talking about the paleo diet and the primal diet, which I believe is Mark Sisson and paleo is Diane Sanfilippo. But they were talking about the fact that even with these diets as nutrient dense as they are, they're still missing some things. What are some things that you added to your particular well, protocol that was different? So I had, uh, on the basis of my research, uh, functional medicine, and the papers I was finding, I had, um, you know, at, at that time, 21 nutrients that I was really monitoring, saying, this is what's key. And I designed a diet to be intentionally to make sure I was getting all those things. And I now track actually 36 nutrients. And so as I created the food rules for my diet, because I'm a researcher, I could have my dietitians, you know, analyze a week's worth of my diet and show me, was I getting everything that I needed? And if I wasn't, I'm like, okay. If we have to get more vitamin E, what do I have to ramp up? So I kept tweaking my food rules to make sure I was getting everything that the latest science was saying that we knew my brain cells needed. And by using food, then I could be sure I was probably getting a lot of other things that we don't, we aren't smart enough yet to know that's not, that we need. What the... Um, Mark Sisson and Dan San uh, Filippo does is they say can't, don't eat this. You can eat these things, but they don't give people clear direction as to how much of what how much of what things you need to eat. Right. I give very clear directions. You need to eat these things in, the, in these ratios to be sure that you're getting what your body needs, and you can you know ramp up and down according to your size and gender, but. Still, the ratios are green, sulfur, color, meat in these parameters, organ meat in these parameters. And then I test it with uh, you know, uh, research quality data to verify that. So if you eat that way, uh, and we do these uh, dietary analyses to show that you exceed the recommended daily allowance for all these nutrients, you know, like two to eight-fold, depending on the nutrient. There's no other diet out there that has been intentionally designed based on the literature and then has actually tested that what they designed delivers what they say is important. Yeah, that's. I was really uh, surprised to see that in, in the book, but it, it seems as though that you're making those adjustments to get the nutrients back in there. One of the things I learned in high school, Dr. Walls, is that mitochondria are the powerhouses of our cells. And you go on to explain a lot about in the book about how important mitochondria is to multiple sclerosis. And I would think in general to autoimmune diseases, which is what mm -hmm. uh, multiple sclerosis is. But explain to the audience why that mitochondria is, is so important and why we need to build that powerhouse back up. So about a, one and a half billion years ago, 90% uh, of life died because this, uh, this noxious compound, 
rose in the atmosphere, and that was oxygen. It basically caused uh, oxidation and rusting of a lot of cells, and they were all bacteria at that point. Um, but there are a few bacteria that could use this oxygen more efficiently as they generated energy. And these bacteria were engulfed by bigger bacteria, and that developed really the first cooperative relationship. So they were ancient mitochondria. So our mitochondria are really ancient bacteria. All of our cells have mitochondria in them to run our energy supply more efficiently. All of the organs um, are, are driven by these ancient bacteria power plants. Now, the organs that have to do a lot of work, like your brain, your heart, your liver, uh, have tens of thousands of mitochondria per cell. If you have a problem uh, with a chronic disease, it's probably a reflection that your mitochondria are not generating energy efficiently for that organ. If you have a mental health problem, a neurologic problem, your mitochondria in your brain are, are, are clearly strained. If you have a retinal problem, so you can't see as well because of retinal disease, your mitochondria are strained. If you have a heart problem or a liver problem, and helping that person improve their nutrition for their mitochondria will often help improve the effectiveness and efficiency and the health to a diseased organ. Is this for every autoimmune disease that's out there? Certainly what I'm, what I'm hearing from the, the tens of thousands of people who follow my work mm-hmm. and what I see in my clinics is that if you embrace the protocol, the diet and lifestyle, that we can improve energy, improve mood, uh, reduce fatigue, reduce brain fog, reduce pain. Now, sometimes the disease is so advanced, I can't completely stop it. I, I may not be able to stop ALS or Huntington's disease. But we can give that person a higher quality of life, And many diseases for which we think you can't stop, progressive MS, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, early cognitive decline, advanced heart failure, rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, fibromyalgia, we're discovering that, yep, you can stop it, and you can often regress it. And if people stay with the program, they can get steadily better and better and need fewer and fewer drugs. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. Um, with your diet, you have three levels to it. The first one being the, the Walls diet, the Walls Paleo, and the Walls Paleo Plus. Um, what's the philosophy behind those three levels? And with the Walls Paleo Plus, I look at that and uh, I thought that is this a setup are these first two levels a setup to eventually move someone into being on a ketogenic diet? So one of the um, things I want to do is make my approach as available to as many people as possible. Uh-huh. And so the first level, um, which will feel plenty hard enough if you're on the standard American diet, that this is still a big change. But it allows people who are vegetarian, vegans, 
to have many, many nutritional benefits. Uh, it gives people uh, some ask, uh, access to gluten-free products at a very limited basis and still really has maximal nutrition, terrific health benefits. And I would say for 80% of folks, that's enough. Um, but for some, they need to move along, and we move them to the next level, the walls paleo. Mm-hmm. And for many of those, that will be enough. But for some spe- very specific conditions, um, particularly things like cancer, um, seizure disorder, a, a neurologic problem that has not responded sufficiently to uh, uh, the f- level mm-hmm. 2 diet, uh, then I have them try a ketogenic diet. And uh, we can talk about how long they should be in ketosis, uh, whether this should be an intermittent ketosis or long-term. Mm-hmm. Ketosis is certainly much more difficult to implement, to do, and is very challenging to sustain. Uh, in some ways, it's it's hard like a vegan diet to do correctly, because if you do a ketogenic diet incorrectly, you can create nutritional deficiencies. So... Uh, like the vegetarian or vegan diet, it can be very helpful if done correctly, but can become a, a problem eventually if not done correctly. Can you have success doing this, um, what you've done reversing your MS being on a vegan diet? Oh, absolutely, you can. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my level one diet, you can do as a vegan, you can do as a vegetarian. I give people some clear guidance on how to do that more safely and uh, really ramp up their nutrition. And we've had uh, people in our clinics as vegetarian and vegans do very well. So eating meat is not a requirement. Eating lots of vegetables certainly is. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned sulfur vegetables, and I had uh, Dr. Stephanie Sniff on here about two years ago, and we were talking about sulfur. Um, and this is a two-part question. <laughs> Um, what's the significance of having sulfur? And then also, I know that you pulled eggs out of this particular protocol, and eggs mm-hmm. are a mm-hmm. big contributor for sulfur. What was mm-hmm. your mm-hmm. Uh, reason for doing that? Okay. So first, uh, sulfur is one of the uh, compounds that's a very important uh, step in detoxification. It's called the sulfation pathway. And it's a very robust part of how we uh, eliminate uh, many of our toxins. Sulfur is also uh, very important in making some of the uh, enzymes that we use in our brain and that we use in our cells to protect against oxidative stress um, or damage from uh, 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 toxins in the environment. So sulfur is very important. I chose three particular food groups, the cabbage family, the onion family, and the mushroom family, because those three food groups have a very long history of medicinal use. They are very potent uh, inducers of the enzymes we use to remove and eliminate toxins, to make some of our key brain structures and uh, for some of the enzymes that protect the cells from damage. The mushrooms 
um, again, long history of medicinal use. The uh, Some of the compounds in mushrooms uh, help balance our immune cells in a very um, good way to quiet down the inappropriate inflammation and to help us fight uh, chronic infections more effectively. And uh, mushrooms have more recently been recognized as to stimulate the production of nerve growth factors, which help give the signals to the brain cells to reconnect. So I chose those three food groups. I put labeled them sulfur groups, but it's really about getting the cabbage family, onion family, and mushroom family in. Yeah, now, the, uh, next question, why did I remove eggs? Yeah. There are <laughs> three food groups that I removed, which are... The, in the United States, the top three foods for causing food sensitive uh, reactions, and that's gluten, dairy, and eggs. Yeah. And I give people directions on how to take them out. And then after three months, if you want to uh, retest to see if you might be able to tolerate uh, uh, these foods, I explain how to do that. Yeah, you're exactly right. I worked in the food sensitivity testing lab as a, a representative, and those those always came up, gluten, eggs, and dairy. I've looked at countless amounts of tests, and those always came up from people and a lot of children as well. Um, last, two, last two questions for you. Um, looking over the diet, I don't remember which level it was, um, you stated to eat only two times a day. That's something I've been doing for about six or seven years now. Mm -hmm. um, and you stated to fast, to do some intermittent fasting. What was the philosophy behind only eating twice and, and doing the fasting as well? If we have at least 12, preferably 16 hours of uh, not eating, we give our mitochondria a lot of um, incentive to be more efficient in their operations. It leads our cells to have more mitochondria per cell and more efficient mitochondria per cell. That makes that cell and that organ healthier. We also know that that increases the longevity of that whole organism, the whole person. There are many, many health benefits to having um, uh, this 12 to 16-hour fast, many benefits to your brain, many anti-aging benefits. If you're up for doing a one-day, 24-hour fast or two- or three-day fast, uh, that's even healthier. And I have done that periodically. I've done, and I, I will a couple times a year uh, do a three-day water fast. And because I'm generally in ketosis, it's very comfortable, it's very easy, it's uh, not at all difficult. And there's a lot of uh, benefit uh, to my brain, uh, benefit uh, to my mitochondria in doing that. And, and, and many of our religious cultures have mm -hmm. periodic uh, fast, uh, fasting as part of that religion. And I, I think uh, culturally there's tremendous benefits to doing that. Yeah, it is. I've been doing it for seven years, and I didn't know anything behind <laughs> behind the science of it. But what occurred to me was that when I fasted, I only wanted to eat two times, and I always just stuck with that even to this day. It's like, okay, I'm just mm -hmm. eating in late in the morning or late afternoon, and then I'll eat in the evening, and it just seems 
right for me. So I've just stuck with it. Um, the last question is I, I do a lot of research. I do a lot of reading around and I came across, um, Hosea Clark. I, she's deceased now, but she wrote something. Oh, yeah, about, yeah. The cure for all diseases. And one of the things that she, uh, was really big on was the electrical device, the electrical stimulation. And when I read the book, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, well, this is, is this the same thing that you're using that she, or just a different modification of it that you were using it, with the electrical e-stem? So the the amount that she was using is a lower level current. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was um, uh, really at a much, much lower level. Uh and we have electrical currents in our body, magnetic currents, and she's probably uh, helping synchronize that in a more health, uh, healthier uh, uh, fashion. I was using a higher current that would stimulate the muscles at the same time that I was doing a volitional muscle contraction. And again, act, act, asking my mitochondria to work more vigorously, which allowed that mitochondria to become healthier, more robust, and in a higher number in my muscle cells. So uh, similar, uh, I think what she's doing, that's uh, a microcurrent, many, many health applications, very beneficial. E-STEM is another way to grow muscle strength. Yeah, it just made a lot of sense because I I just started reading her stuff, and it's like 600 pages. I haven't yet made my way through it. But just a glimpses of the stuff that I've been thumbing through where she mentions electrical stimulation, it just dawned on me that you're probably doing uh, much the same thing. I know that you have some things that you're working on with regards to um, not only the Walls Protocol and the book. Tell us what else you're working on. And then also, if you can give us your site where people can go if oh, they sure. have any questions for you. So we have uh, lots of stuff that we're doing. Uh, I've got a cookbook that I'm uh, turning in. will be pu- coming out next spring, so uh, people should stay tuned for that. We're uh, having a clinical trial. So people with relapsing remitting MS, um, we would like to have them uh, check out my website uh, and look f- uh, for info there. Uh, so relapsing remitting MS with fatigue. Um, this summer, I'll be doing a, a three-day seminar, uh, the Walls Protocol Seminar. We've done it. This will be our third time. And I teach the concepts in my book uh, at a much deeper level. Uh, we'll have a fourth day uh, for health coaches and practitioners where I teach uh, at, again, an even deeper level uh, the type of concepts that I'm using. Uh, you can get information about that on my website, Terry Walls, T-E-R-R-Y, Walls, W-A-H-L-S dot com. And you should go to my shop, the shop page, and then look under the courses. And that's where information on the seminar will be located. It will be um, fabulous. Um, We have limited seating, so if people are interested, uh, they should check that out. Great. Dr. Walsh, thank you for being on. This has been a very um, enlightening conversation. I really thank you for coming on tonight. You're very welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Bye-bye now. Thank thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Really fantastic interview. Um, Guys, I don't know, uh, you know, what the audio is or audio situation, but as I stated last week at the end of the show, 
um, there's been something like my headphones for some reason have been going out on their own and switching to my internal speakers. I've tried to contact Apple and I don't know. So <laughs> I just went with the interview tonight. Hopefully the audio was all right. Maybe I'll go back and listen to it and clean it up and um, repost it again just in case so you'll be able to hear everything. But I think everything should be to be pretty clear. There was supposed to be an interview Wednesday coming up, the Dirt Cure with Dr. Maya Sheetreet Klein. And that is going to be rescheduled. She has something that came up urgent and won't be able to do the interview Wednesday night. So, again, I'm going to reschedule that. And then I believe next Monday I'm going to have Deborah Davis on. We'll be talking about smartphones. Everybody on their smartphone constantly looking at their smartphones. And the name of her book is Disconnected. So she'll be on for um, next Monday. And then I can't remember who's on for next Wednesday. But, again, Hope you enjoyed the interview tonight with Dr. Terry Walls. A lot of great stuff. If you are suffering from MS or know someone that's suffering from MS, I would encourage you to go out and get the book. It's loaded with a ton of information. If you're someone who just want to know more about autoimmune conditions, because it just seems like autoimmunity is exploding. Everybody has an autoimmune condition then you may want to go out and grab the book as well. Um, normally I say see you next week, same fat, seeing you Wednesday, same fat time, same fat channel. But I guess I'm going to see you next Monday, same fat time, same fat channel. Thanks for listening. Good night. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.